You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. If you've been living under a stone for the last few weeks, and in fact the last couple of years, you would not know that commodities have been all over the place. The CRB index has soared. It's more than doubled. In fact, at one stage, it had almost tripled. The gold price has been messing around 1800 more recently, sort of fiddling around there using 1800 as an orbital point, And then suddenly that shot up in the last few trading days, actually, to $2,070 an ounce and has come back now below 2000 The oil price two years ago, almost to the day, was around about 10 to $15 a barrel. This week, it went to $139 a barrel. That was a moment in time, but it's still up there. It's still 113 114 and every time I've reported upon commodities on this podcasting site, strictlybusinesspodcast.com, I think to myself, why aren't I talking to Peter Major? And I thought to myself, because I know what he's going to say to me. He's going to say, Lindsay, everything's going to revert to the mean, and he's going to dampen my enthusiasm. But I thought, after the sell-off we had yesterday, <laughs> we've got to talk to him. So here he is, Peter Major, arguably the finest mining and commodity analyst in South Africa from Major Corporate Solutions. Peter, please give me your general synopsis of what on earth has been going on. Well, first of all, we haven't seen very much reversion to the mean in this cycle, Lindsay. No. And while I still believe it, the time frame is going to be a lot different than I thought. I think I started getting converted to this full-blown super cycle probably around October, November last year. And all you have to do is say, when did this cycle start? Somewhere in 2003. So if you look at today, 2022, that is 19 years. And this is 19-year bull run, commodity boom. I can't find a 19-year commodity boom on my scale. And I look back a 1,000 years. And that, that great commodity boom we had in the 70s, it looks like a pipsqueak compared to this. You know, that was maybe a six, seven-year wonder this is a 19-year, full-blown, super commodity cycle. And yeah, if you talk about cherry on the top, whipped cream and cherry on the top, that's exactly what this Russian-Ukrainian war has done. We, we, we were looking at very high prices for all these commodities before this war started. And, and they just took it outside one and two standard deviations. If, if you look at the recovery of palladium, you know, from 2000, announced to 3,200, you know, 50, 56% increase in what? Weeks, you know, rhodium from 1,400 to 1,700 to 2,200. You know, we have rhodium mines here. I think 50, 55% of the revenue now is coming from rhodium and 25, 30% from palladium. You know, we can barely call them a platinum mine. I think platinum is about 14%. And probably rhodium currently it's maybe it's 45 50 but still um and and we produce 85 percent 90 percent of the world's rhodium we produce more palladium than russia so we are the best we are the best beneficiaries of this commodity boom. We're, we're just scoring left and right. Yeah, I remember working for Guy Wolford, our, our, our mutual friend, the late Guy Wolford, and him, him saying, I think it was a, a platinum was about $1,600 an ounce. And he said, Lindsay, platinum is the only game in town. And he was piling in on behalf of his, <laughs> his clients for, for platinum. And yeah, he, he didn't even mention the, the other white metals. So, But now, as you quite rightly say, it's not a platinum mine anymore. It's a PGM mine. It's a mine that 
mines rhodium and, and palladium. And that's that's one of the clever things that you have to do as a fund manager. You have to say, what is the mix of the stuff that they're digging out the ground? How much platinum, how much palladium, how much of the lesser metals, even after rhodium? There's some other ones there that are also incredibly valuable. It's a fascinating time. Yeah, it, it is. And if you look at feast or famine, go back about four years ago, all of our miners, certainly our platinum and our gold miners and our diamond miners. It's, it's odd. You know, if you're in bulk, you're almost always making money. You almost always have a healthy balance sheet. But precious metals, those metals might be precious. They might cost a lot. But invariably, they have the worst margins. The diamond mines, the PGM mines, and the gold mines almost always have much worse margins than the bulks, iron ore, coal. You know, even manganese usually has better margins than the, the precious metal gang. But boy, they have margins now. And, and these guys, they had one foot in the grave and someone was pulling the drip out of their arm three, four years ago. You know, Neil Froneman, 35 billion debt. You know, he, he was selling every other commodity except his platinum. You know, he was even starting to stream some of the, the palladium. He streamed off his chrome. His base metals, you know, cobalt, nickel, copper, anything to keep it alive. He's taken on debt. Um, he's gone from 35 billion debt, what, three years ago? Mm. I think he's over 35 billion cash. He's flying. And 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 super margins. All these guys' margins, they're they're looking like IT companies, you know, they're on 50, 60, 65 percent margins now. And yeah, it won't last. Will it revert all the way back to the mean? I think it will over time, and that doesn't mean it's going to stay at the mean. It just means it, it'll fall back there sometime. But, boy, you don't want to bet against these things now. The, the margins are just too big, and there's too much uncertainty in the world. The one certainty that's helping it, other than the war, is inflation. And nobody wants to sell hard assets when they know inflation is kicking the door in. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to inflation later on, but let's have a look at a couple of case studies. I mean, I'm, you, you're talking about margins. I mean, look at Kumba Iron Ore. I'm looking at the price of iron ore at the moment per ton in US dollars. Oh, boy. I've got $156.50. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, wasn't that long ago. It was uh, down at 70.75. It has been much higher than 156.50. But Kumba Iron Ore, I think their cost of production is something like 35 40 dollars a ton. Is that right? I mean, you know better than I because you're a mining analyst. It, 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 it was when the iron ore price fell from 200 back down to about 30 when was that 2014 2015 yeah yeah they they were one of the highest cost big producers was was kumba they let their costs get out of control and it's impossible to keep your costs under control when everything's running cuz you need to get production out so your suppliers are ripping you off your labor you know is their productivity good well their wage demands are sure good you know electricity so Kumba's costs had gotten up to 50, 55, yeah. but boy, you, they only needed 18 months of low prices. They probably had the production costs back down to 35. Maybe they had miscellaneous at another five. So you're right, Lindsay. Today, I don't think there's any way Kumba's producing their costs are over 60 bucks. And that's assuming bad cost control. And, and they're usually fairly good at it. So yeah, the worst cost they could have is $60 a ton and they're getting 130 140 and that's for the benchmark 62% fines and they sell more of the lumpy at a premium than they do the fines and so you're right 
These guys have margins better than IT companies. Anglo-American PLC, the parent company, was going to sell Kumba Iron Ore at one stage because uh, Anglo-American PLC's share price was in trouble. It was in the low 50s per share, oh, 50 rand per share. And they nearly <laughs> sold Kumba Iron Ore. They wanted to. They discussed it. And they also, another thing that uh, Anglo-American has spun off, has, mainly because of environmental reasons, I would have thought, is Tungela, the coal mine. And I look at uh, coal now as well. I look at coal. And OK, it's, it's, it's down today. But year on year, it's up 327%. I mean, Tungela's printing money. Well, we were, we were comparing it when they unbundled it. It was like Richemont unbundling the cigarette division. Hmm. And we said, gee, this is where they made a hell of a lot of their money. Public opinion is going against them, and it's probably hurting their rating. And and the banks say they're not going to fund cigarette makers nor coal makers. You know, they're both um, narcotics. Worse than that, they're, they're both friggin' deadly. Anyways, you're right. I think Anglos did the right thing, unbundling it, rather than sell it for a, a song. They said, we'll unbundle it and let each shareholder decide what he wants to do with it. And I think the listing price was about 27 and everybody panicked because some American hedge fund that obviously wanted a bunch was telling everybody it was worth zero because of unfunded liabilities. Remember the thing fell from 27 to 17 or 18, bounced around there for a few days, and then it turned. It hasn't stopped going up. I don't know what the peak was this week, 185, 190. So a 10-bagger? Jeez. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a good a, one. Is huge it? profits. Huge margins. There's another Huge wild dividend. one. I mean, you, you're a wildcat miner yourself, but um, uh, in personality-wise, what about this um, this um, tin mine in the Congo? What's it called? Um, oh my gosh! Um, listed on the JSC. I can't remember what it's called briefly, but I know. Yeah, it, yeah. And it's I, been it, all over the place. It's got quite a big market capitalization, so I don't know. Maybe it's got a small free float, so people can push it and pull it around at will. But um, it, you, you know the one I mean, don't you? <sighs> I, I, I do, and I keep wanting to say Afritin, and, and it's not Afritin. That's that's uh, the low-grade tin mine in Namibia. Mm. Um, but anyway, it. I'll, it shows I'll, find, how bad I'll find the name. But it, you're right. That, that's another IDC one that's gone berserk. Oh, geez. And, and the thing is, that deposit is mind-boggling. I never read a tin deposit anywhere on the planet that comes half as close as that. You know, they're, they're talking a run-of-mine grade. Pardon? Alphamin is the name of the company. Alphamin's the name. That's right. And we saw that at Bernard Swanepoel's Jr. in Daba. Saw it for two or three years in a row. Boris Kempstead gave us a blow-by-blow. -blow. Anton S. Hazen was the geologist. Rob Still had a lot to do with promoting it. His company, Denim, put in the majority of the money. IDC put in, I think, the second most. And boy, what a payout that thing is given. Yeah. You know, it just... It's just phenomenal grades. Yes, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's probably got the highest production cost, but who cares? Who cares if you got the highest production cost, which is maybe $14,000 a ton, if tin is selling for $48,000 a ton? Uh, the other and, problem, and it's an amazing ore body. Yeah, but the other problem is that you're working in the Congo, and without being um, too controversial, you do have to give a few people some backhanders in order to operate efficiently <sighs> and without trouble in the Congo, because you've been there, haven't you? Only tangentially. I've been a lot in Zambia, not the Congo, 
I, I know enough people who have been, and they claim it's all above board. They claim they haven't had to pay any bribes. And you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe if you're hiring all the locals there, you know, bribes can be a bit gray. You know, if, if you're hiring locals to move your material, if you're hiring locals to work their way through government regulations, you know, maybe it isn't a flat out bribe, but it is a listed company. It's got American investors, it's got Asian, um, European investors, and they are big on ESG. They are big on the anti-bribery rules. And we see every day in the paper, every day on Bloomberg's, another high-profile Israeli or other investor in the Congo is being tried, is you know, going to court, having charges laid against them for bribery. So to the best of my knowledge, they've done everything right as far as getting the permit, getting the mine going, hiring locals. They're a real asset to the country. Good. It's only 13 rand a share now because it wasn't that long ago. It was 30 rand a share. So it's all over the place, completely uninvestable, uh, unless, unless you're a, a really long-term <laughs> investor with a, with a stomach of steel. Um, we don't need to talk about yeah. steel now. Let's talk about uh, a couple of other things. Um, we'll, we'll get to oil right okay. at the end uh, because oil is the big daddy and oil does affect inflation and inflation affects all sorts of other commodities. Uh, let's have a look at nickel. Nickel is $100,000 a tonne. Uh, the, the spot no, it's, not long ago. In fact, last week. That is mass insanity. Yeah, they had to freeze. The, they had to freeze the LME trading in it. That is insanity. It's almost like when oil went negative. Remember a couple of years ago. And it's uh, it's, just, it's, it's Russia and Canada that produces most nickel. Is that the case? No, no, it's it's not. It, nickel's actually got a fairly decent spread. So I think Russia does produce around six or seven percent, but as we all know, if if a hundred percent everything is in balance, if all of a sudden you just stop five or six percent, you know that can drive the price to multiples because mm. who's going to be the five or six percent of the people who don't get it, or is everybody going to just get five or six percent less? And I, I think it's overreaction because. Russia can't eat metal any more than we can. They can't eat natural gas. They can't eat oil. They need money. Doesn't matter if it's dollars, gold, or yuans. They need money to eat on and to fund a war. So that metal is going to come through. There's not going to be stockpiles built up on that metal. It's going to go through the Koreans. It's going to go through the, the Chinese. It'll go through the Swiss. You know, that metal's still going to hit the market. So I can see the prices going up 5, 10, 15 percent. But when I see nickel double and then double again, I, I just I couldn't believe it. I, I don't have words for it. OK, nickel out the way. Let's get to some more mainstream ones now. <laughs> um, and let's talk about uh, gold. When we started this conversation, gold was $2,014 an ounce. It's now back down to 1997. It's still up $5 on the day. Um, but it's been... That's been a that's been a, a wild ride. It's almost as though there was this massive short covering when it uh, held above two thousand, and people threw in the towel whether they had option, uh, long term option yeah. positions. People like you that are you know bearish of the or not, not bearish of gold, but certainly saying it will revert to the mean. As I said in my introduction, uh, but there was some serious action there when when the height of fear were, uh, with 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 Russia uh, was all across the front pages and the middle pages of every newspaper and every uh, media publication. Well, you can quote me on this because I don't think I've ever said this before, Lindsay. I've been surprised 
how little gold reacted. And yes, yes, you're right. I'm not a gold bull. And I always think it's an overreaction when gold jumps up for any little bit of trouble in the world. But when you see how all the other metals have reacted and you look at gold, gee, if, if I check my list of 40 commodities, I don't think there's many that have performed worse than gold that, that reacted less. And if ever there was a recipe for gold to go up, I would think this is it. You know, you've had the U.S. confirm for about four or five months in a row their inflation is over 7% and interest rates are still at two and a half, three. Boy, if that isn't a, you know, if that's not a reason for gold to go up, what the heck is? And now you, you've got a war yeah. with the biggest country in the world starting this war, Russia, and the you know, Putin's been good at not taking out a lot of debt, and he's got big gold reserves. And so he's been planning for this. So he can use the gold to fund it. And in China, they're right next to him, so they're happy to fund him whenever he needs, sell him whenever he needs. But yeah, I go down the list, you know, raging bull run in all commodities, energy prices through the ceiling, all energy, even uranium's up to $54. And look at gold, it can't hold above $2,000 for three days. No, just, and you and I are twin so, souls in this regard because I always said, why is gold, why was it messing around 1800? Okay, it's gone from 1800 not long ago to uh, above 2000. But why has it not reacted more? I mean, Bitcoin reacts more. Uh, other commodity yeah. prices, uh, safe havens. The US 10-year bond yield uh, flips like 4 5% a day up and down depending on people's risk profiles. But gold has done nothing. As we speak, by the way, it's $2,000 an ounce again. So... It, 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 it's going, but month, <laughs> monthly it's only up seven point eight percent. Year on year, yeah. it's only up sixteen and a half percent. It's nothing. Are we missing a trick I know here? It. No, I I think we haven't evolved with the times, Lindsay. I think look at the environment that gold is in. It's actually a hell of a different environment than it was back in the nineteen seventies. You know, back then, the world only produced not even a 1,000 tons a year, and it was concentrated in one country. Today, the world produces 3,300 tons every year, and that's officially, and it's spread all over the place. But even more important, there are so many alternatives what you can do with your money now as opposed to in the 1970s. There were no futures on oil. Mm. There were no ETFs. I don't even think there were any um, funds. Um, what do we call it? Um, like like the all share, you know, the indie funds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Index funds. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and the world, you know, it was still a scary Cold War. China was a total unknown. And Russia and all its satellites, you know, they, they were the bad guy. And then the West, well, it was still kind of bumping heads. You know, Europe was its bit. You had North America, South America. So I think it, it's just a liquidity and available options so people have multiple passports now they have umpteen multiple banks where they can put their money they can get their money out with a card and a machine they can electronically move it so i think that's what's taken off gold as being the only alternative it's it's still safe as ever it's still liquid as ever but it's competing with so many others and like we said etfs or bitcoin you know how many of these cryptocurrencies are there you know, I, there must be 50 or 100 that I see listed. Um, I think there's just so many alternatives to gold that, yeah, it's nice to have, but I, I can get more bang for buck out of this other sexy instrument. 
I think we're missing a trick, and I do think other people are as well. And I think uh, tradition will prevail in the end. But before we get to oil, uh, food prices. I remember back in 1986 when Chernobyl occurred, and everyone thought, well, this is it. The whole of the Ukrainian and some of the Russian wheat crop is going to be wiped out because of radiation. And uh, I, I was working on a trading desk, which was run by a very nice chap, but, but a very volatile chap by the name of Paul Atkins. And um, <laughs> everything was limit up in when the Chicago Board of Trade opened. There was no 24-hour market, so the CBOT opened, wheat was limit up, uh, soybeans were limit up, everything was limit up. You couldn't trade. It was $20 a bushel in those, in, in those days. Um, Man. When it went that limit, you, it, they closed the market. So I went, into, um, I went in to see Paul Atkins, who was on about three phones, and I said, um, what, what, should, what should I do here? I, I can't buy anything. I said, what about, I said, what about sugar? Sugar's still open. He says, he looked at me and says, is it a food? I said, yes. He says, then get it bought. And it's, it was very I, funny. I thought it was a poison. <laughs> but it, it, it's funny. Look at wheat. Wheat's up 73% year on year. It's up 39% this yeah. month. Madness. Yeah. Well, arguably the world's second biggest breadbasket's being invaded. You know, maybe maybe that's some of it. Huh? Maybe it is. You know, Ukraine. Ukraine is Europe's largest country by far. I thought it was Europe's richest country by far. And now it's being invaded, destroyed, taken over. So, yeah, what's going to happen to all the, the breadbasket commodities that this country produces? I was speaking to somebody yesterday and they said, OK, uh, maybe this year's harvest. I don't know what the stage of the harvest uh, the, the Ukraine growing region is at at the moment, but uh, the farmers have, uh, are going to go. Who's going? Are they going to plant a new crop? Uh, so this, yeah. isn't, this isn't just the, the current harvest not being threshed and uh, and oh, sent, to, sent in the supply chain. It's going to be the next harvest as well because they're not going to grow it. This is a long term no, thing. You're so right, Lindsay. Yeah. We're in the middle of March now. This is when farmers are getting everything ready to go. You know, they've been overhauling their equipment, polishing it, you know, lubricating it, laying everything out, getting their orders, making their plans. Because, yeah, springtime is when you got to get out, hit the fields and start planting. Yeah. Now they probably have no more equipment. Their railroads, their highways, I don't know how bad they're tore up. Um, airports are shot. And supply chains looks to me like they've probably all been cut. And what about water? Don't you need water for uh, planting and and growing crops? I've heard so. so you're right. Mm -hmm. Forget this year. This year you just can't see it happening. And why is it going to happen so much better next year? It, it it will be better, but is it going to be double what they do this year? Yeah, this this is March, middle of March, man. It's and yeah, this isn't a small country that's getting tore apart. This isn't Chechenia. This is a huge country getting tore apart that is plugged in to the whole world. Yeah, it's a very scary prospect. Okay, uh, the big one has been uh, the oil price. Um, this morning it was $111.20 per barrel, Brent crude oil. It's now $117.56. Uh, it's up 5.9% uh, on the day. It's up 68.45% uh, year on year. It was 139 at the beginning of the week. This is untradeable, but it's not going, I mean, it, it's had some washouts, of course, because there was some, uh, some, some serious pain taken by um, 
derivative uh, structuralists, as I'd like to call them. Uh, but 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 the, <laughs> fundament, the, the fundamentals are still there. There's a shortage of oil. There's a shortage of it, despite the fact there's so much of it. And I know that's a contradiction, but that's the case. Well, there's massive demand for it. You know, there might be a shortage of immediate oil. And even I find that hard to believe because you're reading a few months ago all these ships that were having to hold oil because they, they'd filled up all their underground storages, all their above-ground storages, so they're using ships. Okay, maybe that wasn't a few months ago. Maybe that was about six or eight months ago. Longer, but anyway. Yeah, longer. But I, I think with COVID, COVID had the whole world fairly locked down for two years. And now everybody's coming out of COVID. And now they're trying to make up for lost production, for inventory that was completely drained. And so countries are really growing, you know, coming off this low base. And so the demand, even before this war, wasn't oil. Can't remember, wasn't it just on 100 bucks anyways before this? And they were predicting 100 bucks mm. before the war. And so, yeah, now you're saying... Where am I going to get my oil? You know, is it going to be banned if it comes from Russia? Am I going to have to pay extra because it's going to come to you two or three middlemen? Um, you know, the Russians probably won't get a premium to sell a discount, but the rest of the world is now going to pay a premium for that oil because they need it. Everybody still needs oil. We're still almost purely a, a carbon-dependent economy, this whole planet. Yeah, and that will change um, in our lifetimes. But yeah, uh, I, I, I can't see it staying below 100 because th there is no shortage. The Americans are happy. Look at how they cranked up. Once oil got back to 70, 80 bucks, look how quickly they cranked up that fracking gas that turns into oil. So the oil oil will come down, whether there's a war or not, two or three months. Oil's going to come down because there's just too many places to produce it from. If you were a fracker in Louisiana or something, and your 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 oil well um, or your oil producing facility has been decommissioned because the prices went down two years ago to um, you know ten to fifteen dollars a barrel, you now go to your banker and you say, "Oh man, look, look, it's it's, it's one one twenty now." And the bank says, "Well, unfortunately, you know what? I can't I can't fund Biden's you." Biden's going to give them a relaxation on their permits. What about I the bankers? What about, are there environmentally, are environmentally friendly bankers in the United States? Do they go to the banker and he says, no, I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry, Mr. Major, uh, we'd love to give you the money and you're going to make an absolute fortune, but we can't extend you credit because it's not part of our ESG profile. Look, I think America's got an advantage because when they broke up all the banks and financial institutions during the Depression, hmm. You weren't allowed to even have interstate banking. So I don't know if any country has nearly as many banks as America does. The last vestiges of that regulation were removed in Clinton and then um, George Bush Jr.'s time. But still, America has thousands of banks. So maybe maybe the first four, five, ten big ones say, hey, we do have a policy. We can't loan for dirty energy. But Maybe they can make an exception in a national state of war, national emergency. And whether they make an exception or not, that's fertile ground for all the little banks. And, and you know, America's oil industry, all these frackers, hey, these are wildcatters. These are yeah. mom and pop operations, a lot of them. So you got a lot of mom and pop banks in America. You got a lot of mom and pop drillers in America. And they all go to the same church, shop at the same place. 
eat at the same restaurant, kids go to the same school. I think America is going to have no trouble getting all the funding they need to increase oil production as long as this Russian-Ukrainian war goes on. Okay, so if you find some oil on the uh, the, the, the major family estate, you're going to go to the Idaho State oh. Bank and say, uh, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the, the 13 kids of the major family, can you lend me some money? And he's going to go, sure thing. Well, you know what the guys in Texas say? It takes a bank officer a fair amount of work to approve your loan, but it takes bank officers doing twice the work to refuse your loan. It's a lot harder to get a loan refused than it is accepted. You know, you have to have two managers refuse the loan, only one to grant it. So that's Texas oil for you, huh? It's God, it's not going to be hard to get funded. God bless America and the great state of, <laughs> and the great state of Texas. Um, okay, let's, let's let's talk about commodities in general now because you have stated on, on record a couple of things I've never heard from you before, but you've more or less um, nailed your colours to the mast and said we're in a 19-year-long bull market and you think it might keep on going. But as you well know, the best cure for high prices in commodities is high prices. In other words, people say, that's I know it. it. I'm going to start digging some more and I'm going to start hedging some more and the prices are going to come down because of it. I, at the moment, yes. I just don't see any evidence of that. How do we play it? Give us some advice, please. Look, the, I think the shares are discounting at coming down. So my guess is what, what I used to do when I was managing at Nedbank and for HBD, is in times of crisis like this, and, and I didn't have a real strong view, I said, I'll just play it safe, you know. I'll buy the cheapest. I'll buy the cheapest, pay the biggest dividends. So if I'm, if I'm wrong and the commodity boom falls, hopefully these things are already discounting a big fall, so they won't fall too much more, and I'm still getting a great dividend. And if the commodity boom keeps going, these things are going to make even more money, and they're going to get re-rated. So... I look at this now, I would choose, it's getting hard to choose the commodities that haven't run the most. That's getting really, platinums, I, I'm convinced all these PGMs have run too hard other than platinum. You know, I'm, I'm convinced rhodium's run too hard. I, I really think palladium's run way too hard and um, iridium and ruthenium, but Platinum itself, yeah. Platinum has more uses than all those other guys put together. And and I think the platinum shares, they're all trading at single-digit PEs. The gold shares, gold hasn't gone up high enough to give them the kind of margins the platinum people have. And the gold shares, I think they've run too hard. I, th I think based on where the gold price is, sure, it's around 2000 these gold shares are motored, you know, they've, they've almost doubled on this run. So I, I think they're overdone, but the PGM shares are wary. And gee, there's some base metal shares out there that um, I don't think we're reflecting. Base metals can fall. If you got copper at 460, it can fall at 360, and these copper mines are going to make a ton of money. And the mining houses, you know, maybe they're the safest of all. They usually have been. And they're trading at discounts to the index. And Anglos, Billiton, fabulous assets. And a nice spread of assets, especially Anglos. Anglos has never had bad assets. It's always had a good spread of assets. But, hey, I've, I'm allergic to anything that's just shot up in the last couple of weeks. I don't care what the story is. I always think you missed the boat. You weren't on it. 
wait and let it come back. Maybe it doesn't come back, but the odds are it will. But you don't want to you don't want to bullet all these these resource shares now because there's just too many factors keeping them up there. You know, the world is growing after two years of COVID. Population is not going down. Money's still being printed left and right. Real interest rates are negative. Um, it's not the time to be short these these companies, but on a short-term tactical view, I don't know if you start buying them after the greatest five-day run they've had. No, but uh, what, what you're going to what you're saying is uh, get diversified, get something like Anglo's. I mean, Anglo's used to be the poor cousin of BHP Billiton because it had the oil assets, and now that's uh, changed somewhat. Uh, so Anglo's is 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 the one that you 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 picked out. It's not a recommendation. Don't 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 get me wrong, but it's interesting that you say uh, Anglo's. Uh, so, and uh, maybe uh, choose a couple of little mines with a with a couple of percent here and there of your portfolio that you think might go. Whether it's an Alpha Min or uh, I don't know one of the smaller platinum miners, depending on the PGM mix. Okay, the last question: What would you say to a, a miner in South Africa now? Would you say it's too late, you've missed the boat, or do you do you say you've got that resource there, you've got that ore body there, get digging? No, Lindsay, I'm actually short some of the shares now on this run. Because this run and I'm I'm just talking the last two weeks. Hmm. You know, Goldfields has gone from seventy bucks to hundred and seventy, you know, two hundred. Sorry. I think I'm talking rubbish now. I think it's gone from 170 to 250. I think Angle Goldfields Gold is uh, Goldfields is currently trading at 247. So I don't know where it's come from, but yeah. uh, you probably do. Yeah, so, you know those those are more than 50 percent moves. And yeah, gold's gone up 100. dollars You know, and I, I think it's it's not commensurate with the gold price. Now the platinum shares, I can see why they've gone up because these PGM prices have gone up so much. But I, I, I love most of our shares. I just don't like them at these prices. I, I'm not going to buy any right now because they've run too hard in too quick a period of time. And a lot of it is driven on this war. And somehow this war, maybe it's not going to get resolved in a couple of weeks. But the market's going to figure out how life goes on with this war. And I, I think there is too much knee-jerk in these metal prices and there is definitely a knee jerk in the share prices. And I, I just really feel they're going to come off in the next week or two. So I, I think whatever I choose, yeah, I can say Billiton's cheap, Angles is cheap, good quality. But, um, geez, does a guy need to go in and buy now? No, he should have been buying a long time ago. He should have been buying the last couple months of last year when I was saying I was a buyer at these on the radio and TV stations. And I think I was even saying I was still a buyer early on this year. But no, I'm not a buyer at any of these now because they're just too high, too quick, based on some things that could get resolved, i.e. this war. Okay, but then it will revert, uh, revert to more normal levels and then the bull market might yeah. continue. The super cycle might continue, but these over-exuberance levels are yeah. Um, yeah, completely unsustainable. I would agree with you. Peter Major, thank you very much for your insight, as always. Peter Major is from Major Corporate Solutions in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or 
or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.